Home sewing in the United States uh, 10 years ago was a $6 billion a year industry. And post-COVID has grown over $10 billion a year, which is to say there are an awful lot of people out there who are sewing who weren't sewing before, or people who were sewing before and are sewing a lot more now. So on this episode of the Whipstitch Podcast, we are talking about how to choose a sewing machine. Whether it's your first sewing machine or a replacement for a beloved sewing machine that is no longer with us. I'm Deborah Mobies, your host. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Whipstitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video-based community where we share tips, tricks, patterns, sew-alongs, tutorials, and ideas so that you can get better results out of your sewing with fewer mistakes and more confidence that follows you out into the world. We have live chats, we have coffee hours, we have community events, and we are launching our first annual tournament, the Tournament of Stitching, where you get the chance to challenge yourself with projects that show you what you've learned and how far you've come. We can't wait to sew with you at the League of Dressmakers. Find us online at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. I love to tell the story of Sandra, which is available on my blog, whip-stitch.com slash blog. Um, Sandra was the owner of a Viking Rose sewing machine that I purchased off eBay in 2006. And her story is truly spectacular. Um, You can listen to that also as an older episode of the podcast. She is the person from whom, by extension, I purchased my first Just For Me sewing machine. Um, It was the first time I'd ever even researched a purchase like that. The first time that I got to express my own preferences for what a sewing machine might offer me. Before that, I had been allowed, very occasionally, to use my mother's extra heavy all-iron Singer sewing machine. It was a beast, weighed more than you and me put together. Um, In college, I inherited my stepmother's slightly less serious portable Singer sewing machine. Um, I didn't get to pick features. I didn't get to pick the style or the model. I was lucky to have what I had and happy to have it. But at some point, I needed to choose my own sewing machine. And when that time came, I felt overwhelmed. Primarily, my overwhelm came not because I'd never owned a sewing machine before and I didn't know what I wanted, but because the two machines I had previously used were both manufactured in the early 60s, late 60s. And I was shopping in the early 2000s, and a lot had changed in the world of sewing equipment. Um, no longer was it that you could choose a manual sewing machine, like a, like a treadle machine, like a yeah, hand wheel sewing machine, versus a mechanical sewing machine, which has buttons and knobs, but not a computer. Now you could choose a computerized sewing machine. And um, there were so many options. There were, you know, my mother did a lot of sewing, owned a sewing business, but she didn't use tons of specialty feet. She didn't do embroidery. Like there were a lot of options available that I had never seen. Um, I, I just felt overwhelmed by how many options there were and how much I didn't know. Fast forward until I was teaching sewing 
And I met student after student who had the same experience. They would walk in the first night of our Intro to Sewing series, plonk down a box of a brand new sewing machine and say, I just came from the store. I bought the first one I saw. Like, (laughs) there were so many... So many features and options and models, and I mean, they're all white, and they're all plastic, and they're different brands that they a lot of these students had never heard of. And um, there were so many machines out there, but only a few places to buy them and almost no guidance. So I really did become not just empathetic, but compassionate toward people who were shopping for a sewing machine. It can be this really unnecessarily complicated process. So... This episode is my effort to make shopping for a sewing machine easier. I'm going to give you a set of questions that will help you clarify your process as you make your purchase. Questions whose answers will narrow down the list of potential models, almost like a flowchart. And then I'm going to give you a simple list of non-negotiables, must-haves, that will help you cut through those smaller, that smaller number on that list and ultimately get to exactly the machine that you want, right? So first, we're gonna talk about what you wanna sew a little bit. Begin by asking yourself, what do I plan to sew? Now, sewing might be a purely utilitarian process for you, right? For example, you may be a former student I had once who needed to sew exactly one set of curtains and then she was never gonna touch another machine. Or maybe you got voluntold to make one costume for the school musical and then you will never sew again. Your needs from a sewing machine are very different than someone who, for instance, is hoping to launch a sewing business from their home. Those are two different machines, right? One of them is gonna get used a couple times and then either shoved in a closet or donated. The other one is going to get heavy use all day, every day for an indefinite period of time, right? Some sewing machines are meant as starter machines, essentially. They, not toy machines, like a toy machine that's definitely a category, the kind that you used to see. Remember when they would advertise things on TV and at the end it would give you the phone number and the mailing address and it was blue screen in the background? And there used to be one for a handheld sewing machine that looked like a stapler, but it was a battery-operated sewing machine. That would fall into the category of toy sewing machine. So would one that is literally marketed as a toy, like there's one out there for children that is a toy sewing machine. We are going to avoid those. They are not, they're not proper machines. They're not machines that will grow with you. They're not machines that are going to be adjustable enough to really do good sewing. We're not even referring to toy machines. Starter machines are those that give you basic functions, but don't last very long. Partly because they're the quality of the manufacturer is fairly poor. These are inexpensive, low-end, entry-level machines. The parts tend to fail. Um, you know, they just don't hold up to much abuse. Um, partly, they won't last long because your sewing skills will grow at a rate that outpaces the features of the machine. Right? This type of machine works for a single project. Um, It's fine for an emergency sewing machine that you keep in a closet in case you're getting dressed for work and you blow out a seam or rip a hem. Totally cool. They're just not going to hold up to the most serious sewing is the thing. If you were to go to a big box store and purchase one of these machines, probably going to run you $100, $150 US. Um, Most of the ones in that price range fall into this category of a starter sewing machine. You can tell 
the uninitiated, I've never touched a sewing machine before a person can tell. From the weight of the machine and the feel of the plastic, the sewing machine body, um, that is just not a quality investment piece. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, there are machines that are computerized, they hum like a car, they have lights and sounds and preset features, they can feel overwhelming. They will last forever. They tend to have a steep learning curve, though, that could prevent you from ever taking them out of the box, right? I mean, you really can buy a $15,000 sewing machine, but you would be shocked at how many of these very, very high-end machines are currently right this second for sale on eBay. Mint inbox, never been opened. Um, And the descriptions, I guess they're entertaining, but they're kind of entertaining sad. There are lots of descriptions that say, bought this for my wife as a gift, she never took it out of the box, said it was too complicated, I'm offering it at a discount. Or, you know, my spouse gave this to me as a present for Christmas and it's too much machine for me. And they've just, they, like, they've never even plugged it in. So your go-to sewing machine is probably going to be somewhere between these two extremes. Somewhere between the handheld toy machine that looks like a stapler and the one that can do your taxes while it rubs your shoulders. Somewhere in between there, you can find the perfect machine. But you have to determine which end of the range you're closer to right? Am I closer to the toy machine? I'm closer to the Rolls Royce. Because um, you will be the one determining if this is a first machine or a replacement machine. So consider, is this, is this your very first sewing machine? Or do you have some experience and you are replacing a machine you already own? If you've had a sewing machine in the past and used it, Replacing it is, I mean, it's really a matter of choosing whether to get a machine at the same level or if you're going to make a greater investment. I truly cannot think of an example ever in my 25 plus years of doing this of someone who has gone down a level in owning a sewing machine. That doesn't mean they haven't. My assumption is that these you know, fancy high-end machines that are for sale on eBay, that individual kept their less fancy machine and was perfectly content with it. Um, but I, I cannot think of someone I know personally who's ever had a really nice machine and gone down a level. Um, most people are going to either purchase at the same quality level which doesn't mean the same features, just the same quality, or is going to upgrade their machine. So, you know, if you've already had a machine, were you happy? Were you happy with the experience of sewing on that machine? Was it fun for you? Did it have good, like, did the stitches come out looking good? Like, usually we refer to that as stitch quality. But when you looked at the stitches after, did you go, ooh, pretty? Did your machine require little maintenance? right? You, if you were happy with it and you were having a good time sewing, you were satisfied with the stitch quality, it didn't break down a bunch, all the features did what the features were supposed to do, you may just want another newer version of the same machine, right? It's possible they no longer make that. Uh, My Viking Rose that I purchased off eBay was struck by lightning, and I had to replace it, and they no longer manufactured that model. But also, by the time I replaced that machine, you know, 10, 15 years had gone by, and so there were other new upgrades and features, right? Like, people act surprised when I say that I sew for a living, and they're like, really? 
that's a thing. And I say, it used to be a $6 billion a year industry, and now it's over $10 billion a year. So yeah, it's definitely still a thing, which means there are advances in sewing machine technology. So, you know, if you were happy with the machine you had before, you can certainly simply replace it with a newer version of the same machine. If you were, or, or an upgraded version, like whatever the next version is, right? Um, or did you hate the machine you had before? And I certainly have encountered people who feel this way. Most of the time, someone who's had a sewing machine really loves it. And they're like, oh, I am devoted to my machine. Or, and like they're dreading the day, the inevitable day when the machine no longer works. Or, you know, like they're like, please God, let it work forever. Um, or they hated their machine and they can't stand it. So if you fall into that camp where I hate the machine I had before, it didn't have this one feature. I constantly was looking for it to do fill in the blank and it just couldn't do it. Or every time I thread it, the, the thread breaks or the stitches skip or the, you know, bobbin gets tangled all the time. Or um, I have to clean it after every single use or it won't run properly or it's always in the shop, right? If that is your experience with your current machine, you probably want to upgrade from where you were because most of those things describe, they, it's a Venn diagram, obviously, but generally that starter machine is, that's how most people describe that starter machine by the time they've outgrown it. It's just, it's not that it's a bad machine. Of course, if $100 is what you have to spend on a machine, that's, get that machine. It's not that it's a bad machine. It's that if that is the upper edge of your budget, you are willing to tolerate some of those inconveniences. But if you are in a position to upgrade, most people choose to do so. And we're going to talk in a little bit toward the end about ways to, to do that that don't necessarily require a big investment of many, right? Like sometimes you can upgrade your machine, but it's like financially a lateral move. Um, and we're going to get to that toward the end of this episode. If this is the first sewing machine you've ever owned, if you're listening right now and you're thinking like, I've never bought a sewing machine before, this is perfect, it's exactly what I want to hear, you may feel intimidated at this point. Some of the language that I'm using is confusing. Some of it has no context for you. Um, some of these considerations are, are based on the assumption that you like sewing and you're not even sure you do yet, right? So sometimes you're hesitant to invest in a machine because, you know, that sunk cost idea, like if I spend all this money on it, what if I don't like it and I never use it, right? So I have composed a list of four questions that will help you cut through that confusion and simplify your shopping list. This episode of the Whipstitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is a video-based community online where we sew together to find the joy in our sewing. By working as a community, we have fun sewing, which brings better results with fewer mistakes and gives us more confidence as we go out into the world. Join the League of Dressmakers for online live chats, for coffee hours, and for our new annual tournament, the Tournament of Stitching where you'll be challenged to try new techniques and produce new projects to see exactly how much you've grown and how far you've come. We can't wait to sew with you at the League of Dressmakers. Find us online at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. 
I have for you four primary considerations. These are four questions that when you answer them will help narrow down your list of options. Um, They are based on a couple of assumptions. Uh, One is that you're going to shop for your sewing machine either online or in person, right? That you are actually shopping for a machine as opposed to a neighbor showed up on your doorstep and has a machine they're going to hand to you, in which case gift horses, right? Just take the machine. Um, If you are shopping, like you are comparing options, comparing pros and cons, you're going to see dozens of models, most of which look and sound exactly the same. So by showing up with this clear list of needs, um, it it limits what you allow to take root. (laughs) Like it's easy to fall in love with the $9,000 sewing machine, of course, what's not to like? Um, by, By limiting your needs and your expectations, you can you can avoid some of the the stuff that doesn't apply to you and isn't important to you and start choosing a machine with the least amount of fuss. So these are sort of non negotiable issues that you're going to have to address one way or another. If you have confident ish answers for these it's going to put you in a really good position to pick the right machine for you. This is not a standardized test. These are simple questions, but they're very personal. And so knowing what you need will make this process a smoother one. Question number one, what is your budget? Sewing machines can cost anywhere from $50 US to $15,000. Um, Setting a practical budget before you shop will go a long way to narrowing down your options. Um, It is so, so, so easy to get to the store and be like, well, but for just $150 more. So be honest with yourself um, and, and set a budget that is practical for you and your family that does not put a strain on you financially. Um. And then keep in mind the the balance, the sort of seesaw that you're balancing there is keep in mind the rule that my grandfather lived by. Always buy the best tool you can afford. The cheap ones are going to have to be replaced and cost you double and they'll only be half the fun, right? A cheap machine at the outset could make sewing no fun at all, right? It could derail your sewing before it ever gets off the ground. It might convince you that you're the problem when really it was the machine that was the problem right? Cheap tools don't do anybody any favors. That is not a rationalization for spending more than you are in a position to spend. And again, in a little bit, we're going to talk about how to bring the price point down while still getting good quality, right? And because at the other end of the spectrum, too much machine can overwhelm and intimidate you with too many features, too much speed, too much power. So we're seeking by setting a budget at the outset to strike a balance between purchasing a good quality machine with the minimum non-negotiable functions, we're going to talk about those in a second, um, but also make a wise use of your investment. So as of this recording, I would expect, I would predict that you would pay Um, At least $175 US if you were shopping for a brand new machine at the lowest acceptable quality level. Most people who stick with sewing end up purchasing a machine that's in the sort of $250 to $300 range if they're buying new. Question number two. So question number one is what is your budget? Question number two is what level of durability do you require? 
Are you looking for a machine for occasional hobby sewing, right? Like you're going to make holiday gifts. You might make Halloween costumes for your children. Or are you looking for a serious machine with a lot of power because you plan to sew jeans or sew leather? Many machines can do both. Um, Some can only do the lighter weight sewing. Their motor and we don't really think about sewing machines being structured this way, but the mo- there's actually a motor inside. Um, the motor is what drives the needle and forces it through the fabric. So thinner fabric doesn't require much of a motor, but lots and lots of layers does. You need a motor strong enough to handle thick fabrics like wool or lots of layers like a pair of jeans or non-traditional textiles like vinyl. Um, Some machines come with a quilting foot, which is also a lot of layers and requires uh, some amount of motor behind it, but most of the lower end machines do not. So knowing at this stage, do you plan to do any quilting? That's helpful. Do you aspire to make bags? You're going to want a more durable machine because it's going to require more power behind the needle in order to go through it. If you're only making stuffed animals and Halloween costumes and holiday gifts, a lightweight machine is going to suit you just fine. It'll be easy to store, easy to carry around. Um, You don't need as much durability in that case. So question number one, what's your budget? Question number two, what level of durability do you require? Question number three, what features do you actually need versus what features would be fun? For years and years, I have told my students that more stitch options isn't always a good thing. It is very easy to look at the card that shows all the different stitches it can make and get super excited and be like, these are amazing. This one's got 180 stitches. That one's only got 120 stitches. But the truth is, I use my straight stitch, my zigzag stitch, and my buttonhole stitch 98% of the time. And I think I might be underestimating. It is exceedingly rare that I use any of the decorative stitch features on my machine. Um, I have, how many machines do I have in my house right now? I have five sewing machines in my house right now. One of them doesn't even do decorative, it does straight and zigzag, that's what you get. Um, Some people really love using like a lightning stitch on knit fabrics, but I use my zigzag for that too. Like I don't, I just don't use all those stitches. Is it nice that they're there? I guess. Uh, They're fun to play with, and I've made stitch samplers with them, and that's always enjoyable just to see what it can do. When my kids were little, I definitely used those to do like decorative hems or little accents and stuff like that. They're fun. I'm not pooping on stitch options. I'm not. I'm saying that is a great way to rationalize a purchase, but that's not a real practical need for anybody. So take care when you see more stitches, that it doesn't derail you from considering spending more budget on a higher quality machine that might have fewer stitch options, but a better motor. I want that distinction to be noticeable, that sometimes a machine can cost more and it looks like it has fewer features, but that's because the best part is under the hood. And if you get distracted by 180 stitch options, you're only going to use three of, you're going to miss out on that better motor. So just be aware. Be aware of that. Question one, what's your budget? Question two, what type of sewing will you be doing? Question three, what features do you actually need? And then question four, where can you shop locally or used rather than a major retailer? 
Considering where you plan to purchase your machine can actually help you narrow down what you're looking for because this is a little bit of a cyclical process. When I consider where I'm shopping, I can go back and re-examine my budget because maybe I can buy more machine than I think. I mentioned in the story of Sandra when I talk about purchasing my first new-to-me machine. I did all my research online and I purchased a cherry of a machine off eBay. It was secondhand, it came with a great story, it warmed my heart, and it was an amazing machine which I could not have afforded new. So I got way more than what I could have bought if I'd walked into a big box retailer for the same amount of money because I did my research. Is there a little bit of a risk? Yeah, but not like there used to be. Um, Most resale sites like eBay um, will give you some sort of buyer guarantee or some sort of purchase insurance so that if you get it and it's a lemon, you can get your money back. Um, I've purchased wonderful machines used from friends at estate sales, from the thrift shop. Like, uh, let's see, I've got one that's a, it's embedded in a table. It comes with like the fold-out sewing table. Got it at a thrift store for $25. It's an old singer, works like a beast. Um, I've got one that's a featherweight that I bought through Instagram from a friend who I have met at quilting and sewing events. And she was selling hers and I snapped it up through DM on Instagram and she shipped it to me. I've got one that I bought at a, at an estate sale, um, and I thought it was a little overpriced at the time. I think I spent $55 on it. Cast iron, beautiful vintage machine. Um, every single one of these used machines that I have purchased for pennies on the dollar compared to buying new, I then took to my local dealership for service and repair if it needed it. They all needed service. I just think that's a good idea. Um, My most recent two machines that I did buy brand new were purchased from the same dealership. And when I purchased a brand new machine through them, I got a class included with my purchase where you went in. I really think it was like the first one was my Bernina 440, which I bought 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, I think it was like a Saturday nine to two was the class like it was an extensive class where they walked you through the entire manual they taught you how to do everything and it was included with the purchase of the machine they showed me how to take care of it they showed me how to store like everything it was awesome if you're planning to invest in a more expensive machine go to a dealership i cannot encourage you strongly enough because then you are making a relationship with someone local who can help you when things go wrong. Someone who's really invested, both both emotionally and financially, in you having a good experience. They want you to like this machine because it means you will come back, right? So if you if something goes wrong, you can ask them, hey, how do I fix this? Or if something breaks, they can fix it for you. These local shops, you know, like, I don't know if any of you are my age, Um, but we used to drive past vacuum repair places all the time when I was growing up, and that is not really a thing much anymore. There are very few sewing machine repair shops, but in the back of some dealerships for higher-end machines, they still have a repair department, and they don't only repair that brand. They will repair anything. My Bernina dealership near me repaired my singer, repaired my featherweight, repaired my brother. Like they are very, very happy to take 
your machine and take care of it. Um, a lot of times when they do the tune-up, which I, I definitely recommend having done on a regular basis, they will include a new belt or if it's your surgery or overlock, they'll include new blades or, you know, they do all the stuff and it's included. It usually runs 85 or $95 to do this upkeep. But on a machine that can cost four figures, that doesn't seem like a ton of money, right? So those are the four questions. Now you should. I know my budget, right? I know how durable I need my machine to be because I have a general idea of what kinds of things I plan to sew. Yeah. I know what features I really need as a result. Like if you're doing a lot of embroidery or decorative sewing, that's important. You should know that at the outset. Um, it's a, and it's a deciding factor. Some machines don't have an embroidery option. They don't have a decorative stitch option. And if that's important to you, you can rule out a lot of machines by knowing that that's your deal breaker, right? And then you're going to decide where you're going to shop. Because again, if you've set this budget objectively, and then you answer these other questions about how durable it is and what features you want it to have, and then you start looking to see, is it possible for me to get a machine secondhand or online at a, a lower price, you might be able to have your cake and eat it too. So once you've answered these four questions, they are super personal. Do not rush yourself. Now you're ready to go shop. So there are a few features which are non-negotiable. The absolute minimum for a sewing machine that you will want and that will grow with you. We've already set some limits on what models you'll consider buying. So now these are some non-negotiable features that you really do have to have that will help it last so that you can grow your sewing and not have to constantly replace your machine. Most machines have these features. Right? So beyond this very short list of six things, um, seek a machine that has the best motor in your budget. Something that can handle a range of weights of fabric, from light to heavy. It's only after you found a machine that checks all these boxes, right? It has the minimum number of features and the best motor you can afford, then we're gonna worry about novelty stitches, embroidery attachments, extension tables, all of those are useful, but they are not mandatory and you can add them later, right? So right now, we want to get you a machine that's really going to take some abuse, but also carry you joyfully forward as you sew. Here's our list of non-negotiables. You absolutely must be able to independently adjust stitch length and stitch width. This is the core of all your sewing. The minimum, and this is kind of a made up number, but the minimum is four, four different lengths and four different widths that you want to look for. Anything less than that, I don't even know what's going on there, right? There are some mechanical machines generally at the lower end, and they'll have a knob where you can have a, um, like a long zigzag or a short zigzag. You know, like they, it's all preset. You want to be able to independently adjust these. So I can have a stitch length of anywhere from zero to six and a stitch width of anywhere from zero to six. And then I can mix and match those two to my heart's little content. Um, one little heads up, machines that are manufactured in the US for the most part, certain brands of machines, that stitch length number is a relative number, which is to say that a stitch length of four is bigger than a stitch length of one, but it is not necessarily four times bigger. Most of your fancier machines, your higher end machines, the stitch length 
the number is actually millimeters. So your stitch length of one, each stitch is a millimeter long. A stitch length of six, each stitch is six millimeters long, right? Um, so being aware of that can help you maybe understand some of the subtleties of when a machine transitions from being more of an entry level, lower end level to being more of a high end level, right? So adjustable stitch length and stitch width. Next, you absolutely must get a machine with a buttonhole function and a buttonhole foot. Other than basic straight and zigzag stitches, you are the most likely to use your buttonhole stitch. Most machines have either a four-step or a one-step buttonholer. Some higher-end machines, computerized machines, have an automatic buttonholer. Um, that just like they sound, a four-step buttonholer means that you have to turn a knob. It's step one, stop, turn the knob. Step two, stop, turn the knob. Step three, step four. Four-step buttonholer. They make beautiful buttonholes. They're generally on mechanical, non-computerized machines that you're going to find a four-step buttonholer. Very often you will find that on a vintage machine that you might see at the thrift store or something where someone has upgraded to a computerized machine. But they weren't great. Um, a one-step buttonholer is usually on a computerized machine. You push a button that shows the picture of what your buttonhole will look like. You put your needle down to show the machine, this is where I want you to start. And there's usually like a little lever that you pull down that interacts with the buttonhole foot. And it actually like, bink, bounces against it and causes the machine to change direction so that it sews up one side of the buttonhole and then down the other side of the buttonhole. An automatic buttonholer is very similar to that, except you don't have to pull any levers down. It actually has a special foot where there's like a laser or an eye or something that t communicates with the computer in the machine and tells it when to stop and start. You simply tell it the measurement of the buttonhole that you want it to have, right? A machine that does not have a buttonhole stitch might seem appealing if you don't plan to make any garments, right? You you really need a buttonhole stitch to make clothes, right? Maybe one with no buttonhole stitch suits you if you only ever expect to quilt. But if you're gonna make like housewares or bags, you need the buttonhole stitch. Like curtain ring holes, like maybe you just wanna make a shower curtain. You use your buttonhole stitch to put holes in so you can put the shower curtain rings through, right? Maybe you just wanna make like a drawstring bag so you can have a shoe bag for your suitcase buttonhole stitch makes a drawstring opening. I really do not recommend purchasing a machine that cannot make a buttonhole. Sidebar. It is possible to make a buttonhole manually without a buttonhole foot or buttonhole stitch. I've done it. I will never do it again. And sidebar. Um, next, adjustable needle position. Um, when you are sitting at your sewing machine, the needle is centered on the work, but a machine worth having that can grow with you allows you to shift that needle from the center to the right or the left and continue sewing your chosen stitch. Um, this function allows you to sew better zippers because it allows the stitches to get closer to the zipper teeth. It allows you to sew better piping, so the piping is really nice and snug. Um, those skills are necessary for anything from a cushion cover to clothing. Adjusting your needle position allows you, in addition to having an adjustable length and width, um, allows you to have the greatest flexibility for a wide range of projects. Some machines will have a setting where you can only set 
the three, center, right, or left. Other machines will allow you five or seven different options for where the needle is positioned. Um, more options is generally indicative of a higher end machine or a more powerful computer in the machine. It's not necessarily a deal breaker, um, but if you were, for example, to go to a thrift store or an estate sale and purchase a vintage machine, like my old um, heavy duty Singer, it had gunk, like when you shifted the needle position, you could feel the mechanism gunk moving inside the housing. And it, it you only had three options. You had center, right, or left, and it worked great. So um, next, an integrated free arm. Your free arm is the on the bed of the machine, the area where the fabric lays as you are sewing it. Generally, there's a, a tray or a drawer or something that will slide off to reveal a much smaller bed where you can place the sewing. This is called a free arm. It's designed so that you can put a cuff, like a sleeve cuff or a collar, and have it closed but go all the way around the machine so that the stitches can be managed more easily. It's just simpler to sew that way. It also allows you to make smaller projects, things that have a smaller circumference, smaller scale. Um, it's usually tucked inside the machine, so you might not necessarily see it if you're looking at the model on the counter. Um, but if you look at the box of the machine, it'll say integrated free arm or free arm attachment or something like that. If you are looking at a machine at, you know, uh, online or if you're looking at it used, you can actually physically mechanically remove that tray to reveal the free arm and confirm for yourself it's there. Um, other than my Singer Featherweight, which is a, a beautiful vintage like cult machine, I don't own a machine that doesn't have a free arm. Like it's just a pretty standard feature. Um, needle down function. I mean, it is what it sounds like it is. It's a button that you press so that when you stop sewing, you take your foot off the gas, off that foot pedal, and stop sewing. The needle remains down through the fabric in the work. Um, it's such a useful function. I especially like it when I teach students to pivot at corners as they sew because it means you can raise the presser foot and you're not squeezing the fabric down any longer. You raise the presser foot, but the needle is still through the fabric. And so you can just like, you're not gonna, you're not at any risk of pulling your stitches out or ripping your thread. You know, it's just gonna stay pinned with that needle you know, in place um, so that you can get really accurate results. This makes for great top stitching. Um, really pretty details. Like if you're, let's say you're putting on a patch pocket and your stitches will be visible to the public. Let's say you're, um, you're stitching a collar and you're sewing with a contrast color thread around the edge, allowing your needle to remain in the fabric when you change directions makes such beautiful details. Um, it can also be indispensable in quilting. Like sometimes there's a place, the, the dreaded Y seam, where you are sewing two shapes together that don't really match or lie flat, and you have to stop at a corner and turn 90 degrees. Um, having the needle down through the fabric while you're making that turn and kind of manipulating the fabric with your hands, oh, it just saves so much headache and you get better results. So finally, and I, I hesitated to add this to the list because I don't think it's a deal breaker but I do think it's a great function, is feed dogs that can be dropped. So the feed dogs, if you think of the, the, the um, base of the sewing machine, the bed of the sewing machine, 
where the fabric is going under the needle, you're not pushing it, right? Like you're not Fred Flintstone driving a car. You're allowing the machine to pull the fabric through because it's got these little teeth underneath the fabric and they drop down and they move you know move forward they come up they grab the fabric they move to the back they drop down they come forward they come up they grab the fabric so in a little cycle um many machines will allow you to deactivate the feed dogs so they are no longer pulling the fabric through the fabric is under the needle and your hands are moving it under the needle I don't recommend that for sewing something with, for example, a seam allowance, because it's very, very difficult to maintain consistent stitch length and consistent seam allowance when your hands and your eyeballs are the only thing controlling the fabric. But when you can remove the feed dogs and deactivate them, it gives you the freedom to do free motion stitching on your machine, which means that the fabric can move in any direction, left, right, back, front, side, you know, whatever, underneath that needle. Now, I use this for quilting. Free motion quilting is definitely a thing. It makes some really interesting and beautiful shapes on your fabric, uh, on your quilt when you quilt it. But I also use it for smaller practical stuff, like when I sew patches on my children. They have these um, junior ranger patches from the National Park Service, and I made them backpacks. That's also featured on my blog. Um, and I made backpacks for them, and I had all these patches to sew on, and some of them are sewn in kind of awkward places. They are iron-on patches, but I don't trust the adhesive. So I always stitch them on. I do that by dropping my feed dogs and then using my hands to trace the shape, which very frequently is you know, like a triangle with curved points or a circle or an oval, right? It's not a regular shape. So allowing me to drop the feed dogs lets me clean up my stitches and gives me ultimate freedom over where they go. So so those are, those are my non-negotiables. Adjustable length and width, a buttonhole function, adjustable needle position, a free arm, a needle down function, and feed dogs you can drop. Everything outside of that is gravy. Once you've met those minimum requirements, my next suggestion is find the machine that has those six things and the best motor in your budget. Can't recommend that strongly enough. Some of these older machines, some of these like higher end brands have been making machines for years and years and they just never give out. They last forever. So if price point was the thing where you were like, oh, I just don't know, you could probably pick up a heavy-duty vintage Singer for under $40 at a resale shop, take it in and have it serviced at your local dealership where you want to pursue a relationship for under $100, and for the same price as a brand new starter machine, have a, a pretty significant sewing machine that's going to last you years and years. Yeah. So hopefully this has been a useful and encouraging guide for you as you go to purchase a new or an upgraded machine. I want you to have the best time ever.
right? Um, tag me on Instagram. I am at whip.stitch on Instagram. I would love to see you bring home your new treat, your sweet ride, if you buy another machine. Um, and I would love to you, for you to share with other people what your thought process was as you were purchasing that machine, because I want you to sew with joy. I want you to have better results with fewer mistakes that give you more confidence as you go out into the world. Have fun sewing. This episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video-based community where we share tips, tricks, patterns, sew-alongs, tutorials, and ideas so that you can get better results out of your sewing with fewer mistakes and more confidence that follows you out into the world. We have live chats, we have coffee hours, we have community events, and we are launching our first annual tournament, the Tournament of Stitching, where you get the chance to challenge yourself with projects that show you what you've learned and how far you've come. We can't wait to sew with you at the League of Dressmakers. Find us online at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com.